0: Now, my next guest is one of Britain's most celebrated and accomplished musicians. He was born into what became one of the country's most famous musical families. After taking up the cello, he won a scholarship to the Royal College of Music at the age of just 16. He's gone on to sell more than 100,000 records and play with the world's greatest orchestras and even busk on the tube, all in a career which spanned nearly five decades, until it was sadly cut short by a slipped disc in his neck. Uh, Now he's channeling his creative energy to Towards the next generation of musicians but you know <laughs> with all those achievements and all those amazing pieces of classical music that he's played uh, many of you may know him best of all for this <laughs> All I think about when I hear that is uh, Melvin Bragg's marvelous hair. Uh, I don't know why. Um, Julian Lloyd Webber. Good afternoon, and thank you very much uh, for joining me here on Times good Radio. Good Mariella. Lovely to Look, talk Melvin to you.
1: Certainly better than mine. <laughs>
0: Well, Melvin's got very, very excellent hair, and I think he knows it. But let's not waste our entire time uh, that we have to speak to each other on discussing Melvin Bla- Bra- Bragg's amazing hair, Melvin Blagg's amazing hair, even. Um, let's start instead um, where it all began with you, because uh, it's so interesting to see. I mean, I know that, that, that many children rebel against uh, what their parents do. But you and your brother, Andrew, clearly weren't that rebellious because you seem have actually just followed in their footsteps
1: i'm not sure about that but i definitely rebelled against my mother who was a specialist teacher of young children to to the piano and of course she tried to teach me and i couldn't get on with it at all so i was four then though um (laughs) but i i sort of i she took me to a children's concert at the royal festival hall in london and i spotted the cello there in the orchestra and i said can i play one of those thinking, of course, that then I might be allowed to give up the piano, which is what happened. But there was a slight early rebellion there.
0: Because your father was a, a composer, wasn't he?
1: Yes, yes. And- a, a lovely, he wrote beautiful music, but, you know, it was um, he was quite shy about it. It was at the time you weren't supposed to write melodies and things, and he basically hid most of it away.
0: So melodies were unfashionable, but you certainly, certainly, you certainly made them very fashionable. Um, tell me a little bit uh, about why you were interested in the cello, because um, that would seem like a, a strange choice. If you couldn't uh, or, or didn't fancy the piano, uh, embracing the cello is surely more difficult. Am well, I mad? Well,
1: the funny thing is, you know, I, I was given a tenth size cello to, to play, because I was so young and uh, I needed a smaller instrument and um, it was very easy to embrace it. And in fact, that's one of the, the great things about the cello, isn't it? It's embraceable.
0: Uh, well, it is quite literally, isn't it? Yes. Sort of, it looks like it's made uh, to be embraced. I guess, yeah. you know, your your career really took off because you were a precocious early talent Um you were accepted to the Royal College of Music at the age of 16 and soon training among some of the world's most renowned musicians, um, including finishing your studies in Geneva with celebrated cellist Pierre Fournier. And... Um, Did it feel overwhelming to you at the time? And and, and did you already know? Because, you know, one of the things that you've done amazingly well is sort of popularise classical music and and make people feel that it was accessible to them, that it wasn't some sort of rarefied form that, that you needed a beard to stroke to discuss.
1: Yeah, well, it's what I've always believed from the very beginning. You know, I love the music, so I wanted to bring it to as many people as possible. And it's, you know, one of the things that distresses me most now is that in so many schools, um, children have no access to music, sometimes absolutely no access at all. So they could actually go through the whole of their school life and never hear a note of what I would say is classical music. I mean, one shouldn't get too stuck on these terms. Classical music doesn't really mean very much because we're talking about over a thousand years of music in completely different styles, but there's a whole um, area of music that perhaps children will never hear about at school. And I think that's really sad and, and wrong and actually tragic because I think that the children of all backgrounds should have access to something that is so wonderful.
0: And, and what do you think they're missing and, you know, any of us who aren't exposed to classical music um, are missing in that situation? What, what do you think it brings? I mean, I know that there's a huge sort of ethos now, isn't there, with the whole wellness business and everything, that, you know, classical music is very good for relaxing, but sort of classical purists get very angry about that, don't they?
1: Yes, uh, I think classical music covers so many moods. Uh, I think that that is what people are missing. Classical music can be a great solace to people. I mean, it's very interesting in the COVID time that the classical radio stations and things reported hugely increased listening figures more uh, in relation to other stations. So people seem to turn to that music as uh, as a form of of, of solace and, and something that... And, and I think that that is what's so important that music and music means many things to, to many people, and everyone carries this kind of soundtrack with them—music that they love and have loved maybe from an early age. And that's where I was so fortunate to be exposed to many, many different kinds of music. And I love not only classical music and lots of different kinds of music that I really like, um, but I think it's the classical music that is missing in, in particularly in, in schools. And so there's a huge amount of wonderful. Wonderful art really that the children are just not having the experience of hearing
0: classical music is also um, often presented i mean i wonder do you, do 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 you do you think that that term is is out of date
1: yes I think classical music is kind of doesn't really mean anything. But then there's the debate. Well, what do you call it then? And I think there is some kind of thing that you can recognise classical music. Maybe it's the instruments that are being used. You know, you you can hit. There's some guy on the internet out there who's arranged um, lots of Shostakovich Shostakovich's string quartets um, for electric guitars, and it sounds kind of completely different. So, which I, as you imagine, it might. Uh, but it's interesting that he can do that and that it actually works. And uh, so it's often about instrumentation. Orchestral instruments equals classical, I suppose. Um, there's also an element that it's it's notated, it's written down. So it's kind of there. Um, it's precise,
0: precisely. it's demanding or strict yeah. or something.
1: There is a kind of a... I don't know. I mean, you know, this is the danger of generalisation because there's all kinds of composers now that would incorporate incorporate improvisation like jazz into their compositions. But basically, there is a structure perhaps to classical music that defines it and its instrumentation as well.
0: It's interesting that, that that you mentioned, you know, the electric guitars and, and Shostakovich because I think one of the, the things that people don't necessarily... Uh, think of classical music as being uh, is 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 a sort of live performance music although lots oh. of people do go and watch classical orchestras and 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 so on uh, but i think you know you sort of think uh, it's not very Glastonbury is it but um I, I wondered what you feel about that i mean i think your professional debut was in 1972 when you gave a performance at the queen elizabeth hall uh, here in london you would have been what, 21 Uh, at the time. Do you remember the feeling of stepping out on on the stage? And, And do you think that it is very much about performance as well as playing? Like performance doesn't necessarily just mean what you play.
1: I think it's totally, well, very much about performance. And I certainly remember stepping out on that stage and and every other time as well. You know, there's this incredible adrenaline. And the thing I missed most uh, when I had to stop was that incredible contact with an audience. You know, it's a it's a real kind of spiritual connection. And I, I think, um, also, I disagree about Dastonbury. I'd love to see a full symphony orchestra out there. There is something incredible about the, that number of musicians, 100 musicians on stage, conductor, solo, you know bringing their music to an audience and i i i I think People perhaps who haven't been um, really need to experience that. It, it's something very, very special.
0: But in fact, I mean, I'm not saying that there shouldn't be classical music at class, But I think it'd be really, really exciting to see a, a classical orchestra somewhere like that. And I suppose that also speaks to your mission to bring classical music to younger people. Do you think that there's a sort of a degree of conservatism uh, in, in the approach, you know, that that, that that one form of music shouldn't be allowed to mix with another form?
1: Well I certainly I've kind of fought against that all my all my life but I, I think it's very good and uh, the classical music could be heard in different surroundings you know, um, I mean, there are orchestras going out there in, in playing in car parks and things, and whether that works or not, I wouldn't like to say. But um, there are definitely we could try different venues and different places, and, uh, and even in the clubs and things. I think it's really important because you, you know we, we're not just something preserved in in Aspic. You know, we we are part of a living culture, and we have to be.
0: Julian, you clearly are passionate uh, about your playing and about classical music, but perhaps, you know, more more so than anything, uh, passionate about playing the cello. And you've premiered more than 50 works over your career, but it all came to a sudden end in 2013 during a performance at an event in Suffolk when I think 10 minutes into it, you, you're Boeing arm uh, lost all its power do you remember that moment and and what sort of thoughts were going through your head I mean it it must have been really your worst nightmare realized
1: yeah I mean this is something I've been doing I was probably I don't know how old exactly then 63 or something I've been playing all my life and I'm in the middle of a concert um, not even the middle as you say about 10 minutes into it and I suddenly you know for I can't can't hold the bow, I'm going to drop the bow. I, I mean, it was the most ridiculous feeling. I, I, and at first, I I just knew it was really bad. Um, Did and I got I Yeah, I got through to, the, because it's, a, I, I think you know if something's really wrong with your body. And I, at that moment, I thought, well, I can't, it's so embarrassing. I had to go to the organiser of the concert. We're doing this huge sonata by Ratmaninov in the second half, which is flat out for 40 minutes. You know, and I said to him, I'm not sure I can finish the concert, um, and I did finish the concert. I mean, uh, and I soldiered on. Luckily, I was doing a concert tour with my wife of of for music for two cellos, and it was much lighter. Well, I don't mean lighter, not such tough. That's rap- so
0: demanding. I-
1: so no and um so I was able to go on and all the time kept having these different treatments and seeing specialists and things and and none of them wanted basically what happened I had a herniated disc in my neck and it was pressing right on the nerve of whatever gives you the power in your in your arm my right arm so you know I had tests and there were various electrical tests and things that did where things just weren't reacting at all so I knew it was bad, and, and I had further MRI scans and things, and they said actually it's got worse. So I had to make the, the decision. It was, I didn't really have a choice. Maybe I could have gone on playing The Swan or something forever, but that wasn't really what I wanted to do. <laughs> That's a terrible fate
0: for a, any musician, surely. Um, well, yeah. but, but it must have been really really difficult the thing that you've I mean you know the amount of time you need to invest to become a player of of, of your standard you've never done anything else in your life I mean obviously you you kind of expanded on on your repertoire and embraced all kinds of forms but you know I, I just wonder how that felt Julian to make the decision that you were going to have to give up the cello.
1: Well, I was forced to make that decision. I mean, there were extraordinary things going on. I was being offered some incredible concerts, things i wanted to do all my life, like I play Shostakovich in Moscow. You know, those are the kind of things you you kind of dream of doing. And, And I had to actually lie to my manager because I kept hoping that I was going to get that there was we find some cure or something could be done and I was accepting these concerts but I knew kind of at the back of my mind I was almost certainly going to have to cancel them which is what happened but it got to the point one concert in the rehearsal I was playing with the orchestra um and I just thought look this isn't right you know I can't give my best that it's not it's cheating it's cheating the audience so I just called it a day.
0: And how did you reconcile yourself to that? I mean, you're married to a cellist, which can't can't have helped. In fact, must have uh, exacerbated that sense. I mean, how, how do you how do you watch Jasin uh, play and not think that should be me there?
1: Now you're going into some uh, detail here. You know, it is sometimes difficult. I mean, she's a lovely cellist. she's a, a very fine musician. Um, at the time we were doing a lot of these concerts together and we'd actually made two full length recordings together. And I, believe it or not, I felt sorry for her because we built up, we were doing these concerts and she'd just come, she hadn't been long here from New Zealand and she came over basically to marry me. And suddenly all this was taken away. Uh, so I really felt terrible for her in in some ways, maybe maybe, that, that helped me I don't know I mean you can't really look at it, but it was a difficult situation
0: it's a very romantic story you're getting together with your cellist wife which kind of you know was drawn out it was almost Victorian in its early uh, the, the duration of of the early romance isn't it
1: I don't know in what sense Victorian?
0: well, didn't you meet? you met, and then two years later you got back in touch and then I mean, yeah. you know t- t- these it's, days people hook up after two minutes.
1: Yeah. So shall, we say, <laughs> shall, we say, shall we say it was a slow burner because um she was in New Zealand and I was in London, and basically I when I first met her, she was you know she's quite a lot younger than me. she was particularly young then she was a student and it just didn't really occur to me that this romance could develop. Then I think when I met her for the third or even fourth time in New Zealand, um, I thought, actually, maybe this can work. I think you,
0: you went on a car drive together, didn't you, and realised that there was a lot more uh, between you than perhaps you'd thought. Well, let's um, say we
1: had time to talk.
0: You had time to talk. <laughs> let's say that. Um, and you've also had time to tackle, I suppose, partly as a result of of this tragedy that's kept you from the cello uh, you've had time to tackle all kinds of other issues and i know that as you've mentioned a couple of times you're, you're particularly passionate about making sure that young people are exposed uh, to classical music and get to learn to play it um tell me a little bit about your 30 under 30 list
1: well, there's that. You know, in many ways, I was I was quite lucky to, dare I say to have a second string to my bow, uh, because I was very involved with museum education, had been for a long time. And that enabled me, uh, just a year after I stopped playing, to get the job of principal at the Royal Birmingham Conservatoire, which is a wonderful establishment. And of course, it meant I was surrounded by wonderful musicians, again, young, wonderful musicians, which, which has always been a passion for me. So I did that job for five years. Um, and and during, actually, the end of my time at, at um, World, World Conservatoire, COVID came. And I saw firsthand how terrible it was for all the students. They weren't able to do their graduations. So they weren't able to do everything they'd worked towards for, for the four years they'd been there. And, and I was very aware of the, the uh, of course, my wife as well, n- not being able to give her concerts. I was thinking, you know, what's going to happen to all these really outstanding young musicians who don't um, have any work? They can't share their talents. They, all the things that they've worked towards for years are suddenly taken away from them. So I actually went to Classic FM with the idea of of Focusing on 30 young artists under 30 and playing their recordings and all this thing. And then um, Sky Arts came in on it and we've done now two uh, series with six of the musicians and we're going to do a third. So it's basically focusing the spotlight on young talent and really giving them a platform and and, and it's it's going really well.
0: But I must make it clear, your, your, your wife may be young, but she's not under 30. Uh, but you are also going to be uh, working with her again, happily, uh, on a tour next summer, which is going to see you take the role as narrator, going into the history of Bach and some of his most well-known cello pieces accompanied by your wife's performances. So that's very exciting indeed. And Julian, today is Blue Monday. I don't know if you know that, but it gave me a chance to play uh, New Order because it's supposed to be the, the most depressing, the day of the year on which we are most depressed, the most depressed day of the year and i've been oh, i've been looking I'm i've been looking for other rough. tunes for something to play
1: then then play yes. sort of spring by Uplifting. Vibandu, four seasons you know um and i was i was interested to hear the the interview your last interview actually um i had an extraordinary i hope you don't mind me digressing no digress an um uh little episode last night in piccadilly with i was walking my 11 year old daughter and there was this this group of four, you know, young guys, uh, probably teenage guys. And one of them came over and said, Um, is that your daughter you're with? you know? And I said, Yeah. Um, and then he said, Well, she's very beautiful. I said, I know she is. And then he said, How old is she? I said, Eleven. And he kind of went, oh, my God. So that, you know, shows you something that uh, it's perhaps and this was in the middle of Piccadilly. So I'm just wondering if, if, you know, we'd been somewhere else where there wasn't weren't cameras everywhere and uh, wasn't brightly lit streets.
0: Did it feel like an intimidating or threatening situation?
1: Well, perhaps because of where we were, it didn't. But I think in in a, in a quieter surrounding, uh, darker streets, I think it could have done.